everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a chef for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I got a little cold, so if I sound Vin Diesel-ish, I know it makes me just sexier, but... Yeah, I don't think you sound like Vin Diesel. Oh, I do, baby. Okay. I do. Got a great show today. Today's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So Chef Kyle Bailey is, um, he's one of the preeminent chefs in this city. We think so. He, well, I know so. He man can cook. And um, he is a very big proponent of using everything that comes into his kitchen, you know, to really snout to tail. And one of his uh, best resources and closest buddies is a pig farmer named Andrew Crush. Andrew's here. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. And uh, they're going to be on talking about uh, uh, a movement, really, that he, that Kyle and Andrew started called Pig Starter. We'll explain that when we get into it. But it's really about utilizing all your resources uh, deliciously. Is that a good way of putting it? No. I don't think it's a good I way th- of putting it at all. Kyle does. Okay. He's okay. just saying that to be nice to you. Try to be nice. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, nice. we'll get into it later in the show. Okay. Also in studio with us today is Johnny Sparrow. He is the if. Former uh, executive sous chef at uh, Jose's Mini Bar, but he's got so much going on. You can find him right now at the Columbia Room, cooking up with uh, Derek Brown and uh, J.P. Featherston's amazing cocktails. He's opening up a new place in Georgetown. We're going to get all the details on it. He's going to be doing pop-ups. You need to stay tuned so you can learn everything that he's doing. All right, and Pierre Malco is back in the studio with us. Look at that. that handsome guy. Uh, <laughs> Pierre is the president and CEO of Uli. Uli's a, a mobile concierge app. It connects people with local merchants that gives them great things to do that are really sort of attuned to what they like to do. And he's got some new features just added to the right, app that are Right, because they were in studio yeah, a couple months started. ago, but it's totally changed. Weren't you in studio right when you kicked it off? No. Yeah, he was, a long time ago. It was like six months ago. It wasn't six months ago, was it? It wasn't. Yeah. Okay. That's six okay, months ago. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Whatever. Moving on. <laughs> but Uli is even coolier. Yeah. All right. And we're so excited today because uh, La Verge Provençale in Boise, uh, Virginia, they have come all the way from there to join us today in studios. Chef Steve Farrell uh, has this farm to table, very contemporary French cuisine restaurant, and they're going to tell us all about it. And they brought in lots of lovely food. So I'm surprised we're looking... he can concentrate. He just uh, he told me in the kitchen he just decided to get hitched. I know. So your mind yeah. must be a mess in there. <laughs> I know mine is, and I've been married 20 years. I know. All right, and uh, someone who was with us with another vineyard many moons ago mm-hmm. is back in. Sebastian Marquette, who's an award-winning winemaker, is with Green Hill Wines in Middleburg. They're also the new owners of Middleburg Life. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, very cool. So uh, Sebastian's in. He's going to be talking and pouring uh, Green Hill Wines. And why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about Green Hill. Okay, Green Hill is a beautiful winery in Middleburg. Um, Listen uh, to that accent. It's a 128 acres farm, and we have uh, 23 acres vineyard on the Let property. me just ask you, are you faking being French? Or yes. You uh, <laughs> to be honest, I come from Brooklyn. You know? <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> so, no, I cannot lie. I'm from France, Burgundy, and study winemaking there, and, and happy to be in Middleburg now with Green Hill Winery. So I brought uh, four different wine today. Uh, the first one is a Blanc de Blanc, mm-hmm. uh, sparkling. It's uh, um, a gold winner as well. We got many gold from this uh, sparkling. So I'm opening the bottle right now. Okay, it's, it's putting up a fight. 
It does. It does. Uh, 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 we're going to get a good pop, though. We need a saber. There we go. There oh, we go. Okay, great. Well, tell us a little background about the winery. The winery is 128 acres, 23 acres vineyard. Um, uh, David Greenhill purchased the property three years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it's unbelievable that we're able to uh, brand and, and make the winery up there in uh, the past three years. And what we do, we try to be focused on the terroir and express really the, 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 the how can I say, the technique of winemaking adapted to the soil and 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 that really uh, developed fantastic aromas in the bottle. So, so the truth is the, you know, sample philosophy of winemaking uh, and the terroir develop in uh, in our aromas in the bottle. So it's just fantastic to uh, to be part of it. Now, how old is the winery? Three years. So it's only three years old. So these grapes are not. How are, how are you guys doing it? Where well, it was Swedenberg Winery before, and we just uh, purchased the property, replant the vineyard, reprune all the different vines and uh, manage the vineyard different ways so to be able to uh, produce better quality of grapes. Mm-hmm. And uh, today we are you know, very successful. We are building a brand new building with a fantastic bare room and it will be extraordinary to share this, uh, this uh, technique of winemaking with the public. So people will be able to test wine and see us producing wine through big glass windows. And uh, they will be also to be able to do barrel testing inside this uh, new building. So talk for two minutes about the wine business because you know we have winemakers in very often and you know you read about all these new vineyards popping up is there a point at which the market will be oversaturated uh, oversaturated with providers or or is the world Are just you? sucking up wine? I'm asking. No, no, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's pretty it's not, un- it's unbelievable. For the past 30 years in America, the consumption increased drastically with no decrease. So crisis, after this economic last crisis. election, we have reason to drink. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, increase the consumption. You know, American people only do, uh, drink 12 liters per person per year. It seems not much, but this is the average in the nation. When you see in Europe, Nobody they are drinking me these questions. <laughs> around 45 liters per person average in year in Europe. So, you know, we know that American people are drinking better. They drink less beer and chips on the sofa, but drink better wine with friends and it become like a lifestyle. So mm-hmm. we know that if you produce good wine today in America, you will be able to sell it. So to answer your question, the Virginia wine industry is growing very fast. A lot of wineries are opening door, but more wineries are opening, more vineyard planting. You know, more of a region become world-known wine region, so we have more customer coming in. Um, but don't you also think, you know, Virginia's Virginia as a winemaking presence, the uh, the tune has changed drastically. I mean, it is considered a real player now, whereas correct. 20 or 30 years ago, I mean, the wines, I mean, it just took the, the wines time to, or the grapes or vines or whatever, time to get to where they needed to be in order for the wines to be good. I mean, it's a serious player now. Yes, it is, and it's not a... You know, wine industry is expensive industry, so yeah. you cannot just have a hobby because it will be an expensive hobby. So you have to make things right, and the mistake costs a lot of money. So if you don't plant the right varietal and you don't print that correctly, it takes years to catch back, and you lose a lot of money. So wineries in Virginia are really, you know, focused now in terms of quality, hiring professional winemakers to help them to reach a better quality. So we don't produce sweet fruit wine anymore. We produce red and white, and we know then we don't have any complex to have with any other winery in the world. Uh, you know, we, we get gold medal in San Francisco Critical every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Robert Parker, who is looking closely to our default wine, and, and it's interesting to see that we can compete with anybody else. So I think what Sebastian's saying is, it was a good question. <laughs> yes, I sir. Right. It was a bad question. <laughs> Why don't we 
talk about this first wine. Uh, uh, well, why doesn't he pour the wine, and why don't we get okay. into Kyle and Let's talk Andrew? To, all right. Well, Kyle and Andrew, apparently I didn't... I mean, obviously... He didn't tee you up right. There's more to pig starter, because it's about promoting pig farming and the, the use from tail to snout of these pigs. Am I right or am I right? And teaching chefs how to do it. Thank you. That's, that's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, see? That's good. I ain't it's no a little slouch. more in-depth than that. Kyle, why don't you start? I agree with both of you. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Kyle. Jeez. So, Kyle, why don't we start with you? Because this was originally your idea? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, cheers. Cheers, cheers, everybody. Um, so, um, so, Pigstarter um, kind of came about... <clears throat> Um, you know, we always used um, whole pigs. I, I've been I've been buying from Andrew for mm-hmm. four years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, and it's great. It's the it's it's the best product available. Right. Um, and I know that um, not a lot of people are actually doing it. You know, not a lot, not a lot of chefs are um, um, getting on board. I know it's hard. It's difficult to do. You mean buying the whole animal? Yes. Okay, but yeah. I feel like that's not part of the conversation these days. Like, for so long, we've been hearing that people are buying whole animals. But, Andrew, you're saying that that is just not the case anymore? Uh, it's it's really not the case. Uh, there's, there is very few uh, that are doing it. And I mean, I understand kind of where they're coming from. It is quite a challenge, and you've got to have skilled people in the kitchen and, and be able to uh, keep those guys around. And um, they, they can make good money with it. In other words, I mean, I think Kyle really likes us, but uh, I don't think he uh, keeps me around because of my good looks. Um, <laughs> I so, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously it, it, it works for him, um, and I, I think it can work for a lot of other, other places. It's just being able to get a, a chef to, to trust that, that they can do something uh, that's out of the norm for them and uh, to be able to learn those skills, uh, you know, Kyle and some of his uh, past chefs have been really uh, instrumental in helping us work with other uh, Well, I think what the skills we're talking about is butchering skills, correct? correct? Yes. Like taking yeah. a whole animal and being able to cut it yeah. down. I mean, it sounds overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like how big are these pigs that come in? What are you What are you breaking down? <laughs> and you're uh, laughing. Don't laugh. Yeah. I'm serious. Well, we've had some well, big boys in there. Yeah, the, you know, a 240-pound pig, and you're trying to carry it up the stairs. Uh, Right. Uh, try not to drop it. Right. <laughs> um, well, at least it's not putting up a fight. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. true. Uh, feels like it is sometimes. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, breaking down the pig is actually really easy. There's, it's, it's just seam butchery. It's actually like you only get six pieces out of it. It's, it's like very easy to do. Okay. Uh, but it's about being creative with the cuts that you get mm-hmm. and how you're going to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's a it's a high cost up front, but it ends up um, being less than if you were to buy just a bunch of commodity pork butts. Right. Well, what is the difference? I think when you say commodity pork, I don't think everybody understands what that means. Because the truth is, is that when you're buying from a local farmer who takes care of his his product, you know, takes mm-hmm. care of the animals and treats them well and then feeds them well. And then you have this beautiful animal. And how does that compare to a commodity product? I might be able to answer that a little bit better. Okay. Uh, when you're when we're done with the TV sh- or done with the radio show, I highly recommend you go to YouTube and type in uh, commodities. Uh, whether you want to talk about cattle, pigs, chickens, whatever, and mm-hmm. uh, you'll probably either go vegetarian or uh, hopefully come talk to me or right. some other uh, uh, competitors. But anyways, um, commodity style uh, pork, uh, especially. They're only eating corn, genetically modified corn and soybean, uh, which is augered out inside of a building. It's basically a uh, pretty much a warehouse um, style setting, and and you're basically creating protein. The animals uh, really never touch dirt in their entire life. They are on an elevated floor, 
all the feces drops through the floor and then it's squeegeed out uh, a couple times a day or a couple times a week. Um, I don't really know all the details of it because I decided that that was not a route we were going to go. Um, but um, anyways, that's why a lot of that's why pork in general doesn't really have any taste. Most people will tell you because the only taste that you get is from whatever spices or salt and peppers mm-hmm. that you that you put into it. Whereas uh, our pigs are are well. Pigs absorb the flavor of the product that they eat more than any other animal, and that's the reason why most of the commodities products don't have any flavors sure. because what they're eating has no flavor. Um, with ours, we try to give them every bit of uh, chance for trying different products to, to eat, mm-hmm. and uh, so we put them on pasture land uh, when they're first born. They're with their moms on pasture land. Uh, they're eating uh, grass and uh, alfalfa and clover and worms and whatever the other good stuff they can come up with. And mm-hmm. then uh, once they get to be about 100 pounds and they can protect themselves, uh, we do have coyotes in Virginia, and uh, they can be a problem, so we got to make sure they're tough enough to That's get, like, a, get a great, great pig. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Sounds like a good idea. Glad you are. But uh, so once they get to be about 100 pounds, we would we move them up on Short Hill uh, Mountain, which is in Loudoun County, out the uh, same county where uh, Green Hill Farm is. And we've actually got a vineyard that backs right up to us. And uh, inevitably, every time we do have some pigs escape, that's where they go. Is they go for the grapes? No, they go hang out right next to the tasting room at uh, Maggie Malik's Wine Cave. They go hang out right out front there. Which is and, why uh, the prosciutto at Green Hill is so good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we move the uh, the pigs up on the mountain there, and they're foraging up there on worms and snakes and acorns and mm-hmm. whatever other interesting stuff that uh, they can they can find. Um, and that's what ends up helping create uh, the product great. that that we have. The great here. taste. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When sure. we come back. Kyle will talk about how you're working with other chefs to provide them with this kind of product. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're talking Pigstarter. We'll be back in just a sec. Let Potomac's Market at River Falls help make holiday entertaining unforgettable. For a catering menu, visit MarketRiverFalls.com or call 301-765-8001. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at ProFish.com. Growing up, I was among the one in five American kids who struggle with hunger. And hungry mornings make tired days. Grumpy days. That kind of days. But with the power of breakfast, the kids in your neighborhood can think big and be more. When we're not hungry for breakfast, we're hungry for more. More ideas. More dreams. More fun. When kids aren't hungry for breakfast, they can be hungry for more. Go to hungeris.org and lend your time or your voice to make breakfast happen for kids in your neighborhood. This is Roger Waldron, president of the Coalition for Government Procurement and host of Off the Shelf. My show brings a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Each week, I talk to experts from inside and outside government about the latest federal compliance and policy information for government contractors. Join me every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 11 a.m. for Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Off the Shelf. We are back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Chef Kyle Bailey and pig farmer Andrew Crush. And Andrew, first of all, what's the name of the farm and where is it? It's Springhouse Farm, and uh, we're out in Loudoun County. Virginia. Okay, so you're close mm-hmm. by. Yeah. All right, and you guys have been working together a long time. Mm-hmm. Why pig starter in the first place? And then let's really break down the details of what, what other chefs can get out of this. Sure. So um, uh, Springhouse Farms pigs definitely, um, for the win. It's the best tasting pig I've ever seen, and that's that's what that's what drove everything. Um, 
Uh, you know, uh, Look we'll, at it. Andrew's preening like a kitty cat. <laughs> we, um, we'll get the pig in and we'll break it down and it'll be in the walk-in and they're like, hey, can you go grab me uh, go grab me a pork loin? And they're like, all we have in there is beef. I'm like, no, that's pork, man. That, that, that's red. It's, that's what pork is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be um, right. you know, off-white or that, like a weird milky color. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to have color. It's supposed to have taste. Um, and the, you know, we, we wanted to get that word out to these other chefs um, and get everybody involved and really just show this product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's, um, it's difficult to get a whole animal in and break it down and, and, and make it work for – it doesn't work for everybody's menu. It doesn't work for everybody's space. So um, – so what will you do? Will you like have little seminars at your restaurant? And yeah, it's very informal. Like chefs will just come over and we'll like, hey, can you show me how to do that? We butcher a pig, break it down. We've got um, um, uh, an allocation sheet for different parts and where they're going to go. And typically, the first time I think it, you, I mean, first time somebody butchers a pig on their own, they're they're probably going to do, you know, six eight hours to get it broken down. But uh, you know, after you've done it a while, especially come yeah, in and watch watch take? Kyle. I mean, they can crank it out in forty five minutes to an hour. Forty five minutes. Seriously. Yeah. That's insane. Now, you brought in some charcuterie today. Mm-hmm. Tell us, like, where it's all from. Like, what part of the pig are we eating? Sure. So, normally when you make sausages or salamis, you're going to use pork butt. It's got mm-hmm. the great meat-to-fat ratio. Uh, but these pigs have um, that that awesome ratio all over the place. So, mm-hmm. we use, you know, the hams, uh, the, the back legs, the front legs, uh, any scrap grind. You're going to have awesome product. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is a pickled hot link, right? So, that's a fresh salami that's been pickled. Mm-hmm. Um, a fermented Fresno and cinnamon salami mm-hmm. um, came out really great. This is a um, a country tureen with uh, brown butter, sage, armagnac glazed chestnuts, kind of folded in. Oh my god, that sounds for the season. This is a this is from the um, from the back leg of bourbon cider ham. Um, I'm in. Me too. Right? <laughs> came out really good. Can you this just is... make the pigs drink bourbon cider. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a prosciutto from um, Andrew's body. Okay. And this is um, like a liverwurst mousse. Uh-huh. Which is That's the one. Yeah, let's pass it around. Everybody come on yeah, over. Please. Everybody's like looking at it, but nobody's touching yeah, it. please get into it. Yeah, All right, so Kyle, how can people find mousse. out about this? Like what, what can people do to get involved? Um, you know, talk to Andrew, man. Get in, um, yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, a, our website or, uh, you know, Kyle or I, either one of us. What's mm-hmm. the website? It's uh, Springhouse Farm, or mm-hmm. excuse me, springhouse.farm. There's no .com. It's just springhouse.farm. And you have a CSA that lay people can get involved Correct. with, Correct, yeah. Too, so right? for our retail side, uh, we also have a, a CSA program, which offers, uh, you get, uh, obviously, our pork. You get our grass-fed beef. We do mm-hmm. some uh, grain-finished beef. We do uh, lamb. We do some uh, goat mm-hmm. and rabbit. So there's, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of different products that we do out there. We're... No, obviously for our pork, but we do a lot of other uh, products as well. And we also do quite a bit of honey as well. Great. All right. So give your website one more time. It's springhouse.farm. Okay. And Kyle Bailey, we can find you now at Six Engine. Yeah. Right. And when is uh, the salt line coming? Uh, Maybe April. Okay. Nobody nobody knows. We'll have you back. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Okay. Sebastian, what are we getting into next? Okay. Next, we have a Chardonnay Reserve. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's not released yet, so we are lucky oh. we are testing that with everybody before so everybody else. Sneak have. preview, mm. correct? Uh, nice. So it's uh, aged one year in French oak barrels, yeah. mm-hmm. it's fermented in French oak barrels, aged one year in French oak barrels, and and uh, it's the first time that I do this type of wine for Grenier. Usually, I have always a little bit of stainless steel mixed with a you know oak barrels. Mm-hmm. But everybody's asking for oaky, woody Chardonnay. Why? So I say because they like that. So 
80% of the market in the United States. Everything old is new again, that's why. So oh it's interesting, God, 80, okay, Chardonnay, 80% mm. of the market. I'm not agree always with that, but if you get the good wood, wood good oak barrels with good tannins, it can be very pleasant as well. So. All right, great. So let's try that together. Okay, you try that, and um, Johnny Sparrow, right, Johnny, come, come on up, up to the mic. Kyle, I just have to say, I just ate one of those salamis. I don't. It's delicious. Which, what is that? It's delicious. That is um, dehydrated rampant chives. Mm-hmm. It's delicious, mm-hmm. amazing. Johnny, have a seat. All right. So. Thank you. Johnny was the executive sous chef at Jose Andres Mini Bar, but. Mm-hmm. He's got a resume, pretty impressive. Can I do it or do you want to do it? You know what? I'd like to hear you do it. Okay. All right. In 2014, he was awarded the prestigious Star Chef DC, DC Rising Star, Mm -hmm. was Eater DC Chef of the Year, Mm -hmm. was a Ramy finalist for Rising Culinary Star of the Year. I lost. It's okay. Yeah, but you know what? There's always another one. There's always another year. There's always another year. So you're no slouch. That's for sure. I wouldn't say slouch. And then he went and lived in Spain for a year. Oh, I worked in Spain. Right. I mean, yeah, I didn't like just go and you hang out. Talk in the, the mic yeah. if you want people to hear you. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. wasn't just like hanging out in the countryside. I gave up my job at Minibar because uh, I wanted to go work at Muguritz. Uh, it's this restaurant in San Sebastian. It's in. So when like, you do that, does Jose help you help set you up, or does he say get out and never darken my doorstep again? No, he was. I did it on my own, and then when I told him I was leaving, I think he was a little more accepting because I was going to his home country versus right. anything. If I'd gone anywhere else, he probably would have. Uh, not been as uh, helpful as he was, but he's a good boy. Yeah, he's he's a huge supporter of what I'm doing. He's always, I mean, I mean, every day at Mini Bar, working with him and talking to so, him. So, before we talk about you know the the restaurant specifically, not everybody who's a great chef either wants to or can do his or her own thing. So, what is it that drives you to have your own place as opposed to a great paying job? I mean, um, when you work with Jose, you know that ain't bad. Yeah, that was. You also learn yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, working with Jose and working at Mini Bar was definitely like an amazing experience. I mean, the product that we were able to bring in, I mean, just it was such a unique experience, and that's what it was. It was a dining experience, doing twenty-four people every single night, uh, you know, twenty-four to thirty courses. It's it was amazing, like to be a part of that. Um, but I know that even before then, you know, I had my own place, and I've always wanted my own voice and not kind of working for somebody else. Like I. Jose and everybody there, Ruben Garcia, who's like the creative director for the company, always like a huge supporter of like what I do and my my vision. But you're also creating for somebody else at that point. Like so, mm-hmm. at a certain point, like in your career, you're like I want to start just doing it for for me and not for somebody. All else. All right. So yeah. you say I'm going to do it for me, and there's a physical sort of business aspect of setting up a business. But what was it you wanted to do that you weren't doing at Minibar? Um, I mean, I guess like I mean that. That experience there where it was, you know, it's an elongated tasty menu. Um, I wanted to do something slightly more approachable. Um, I mean, yeah, I loved creating that and, like, coordinating that. You know, it was it was like a dance every single night, like, just running around with, you know, that staff of 30 people and just mm-hmm. creating that. But uh, at the end of the day, I knew that what I wanted to set out to do was kind of do something similar, but more so for the masses versus, like, the select few that were able to do that. So, Well, yeah. as you were – so now you're at the Columbia Room. Yes, Working with Derek and uh, J.P. Featherston, yes. but that's a totally different kind of thing because it's a it's it's primarily cocktails. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about it earlier that it's it's very different uh, so being in a kitchen. Small plates and finger food. Stuff, yeah, exactly. Right? It's it's food more so kind of paired with the cocktails. Mm-hmm. Like, usually, like when we do food, it's like I make a dish and then somebody pairs the alcohol to that, and it's kind of that's how it works. But with them, the focus there is you know creating uh, an experience with cocktails, and our food is it's not meant to sit down and have like a full meal. It's Supposed to elevate what they're doing, um, 
but we also I, I get to have fun and kind of like showcase a lot of like really kind of fun technique it's like the first couple bites of like mini bar where it's you know you don't need it's not like a big piece of meat but it's like these fun little bites and it's not meant to be like the most delicious thing you've ever had but uh kind of just kind of more fun little snacks well i think it sort of sets the stage yeah. for i mean when you're doing a cocktail tasting even though you know the cocktails are delicious and there's um you know it's very calm in there very zen like mm -hmm. in there so there is a, a you know it's not like this raucous party yeah but you know it does sort of set the stage for kind of the experience yeah exactly right, but let's now talk about reverie yes and what you're going to do there. All right. Um, so since I came back from Spain uh, about a year ago, I've been trying to find a space and uh, figure out how I'm going to do what I want to do. And uh, through, I mean, it took several months for this to kind of happen, but through a mutual friend, I was able to find my current landlord, uh, Ezra and Jessica Glass, who had a, a space open in Georgetown. And at no point had I ever really looked in Georgetown. Um, not to say it never interested me. I just, you know, I, I lived in Shaw and H Street for most of my the, my ten years of being in the D.C. and I thought I wanted to open up there. Um, but once I started, kind of just I had the meeting with them on Gray Street in their office, and it just kind of I kind of fell in love with that area. Like it's it's beautiful. It's like right south of the uh, the canal, which they're redoing right now. They're draining it, so it's mm -hmm. not as beautiful as it normally is, right. but um, it will be. Uh, and just like it's in a historic alleyway, and just this really like beautiful brick building. Plus um, the density of of Affluent bodies there yeah. with really not a lot of options for good food, and sure. yet it, the the world shifted away from. Georgia. Well, the yeah. area that he's Gray Street is like become yeah. this little little mecca. There's yeah. like all these different like you were telling me earlier. There's the, a... like the Gray Street Collective, I guess is kind of right. how they call it. So in the bottom, they, it's in the bottom of a, a condo building, but it's all these mixed retail spaces. And already there, there's uh, Gray Street Coffee, South Block Juice Bar, and then Sundovich is in mm -hmm. the back and. Son of a what? No, son hey, of a bitch. It's watch your sandwiches. Mouth. <laughs> on the radio. Uh, this is a so he he has a place in in Shaw and he didn't really tell anybody or really did like this crazy announcement. But this place is getting like so much traction and it's like the landlords have kind of handpicked. I know, but the all sandwiches the are really yeah, they're good. awesome. Like they kind of sell themselves. You don't need to do that right. much for it. So um, yeah, this it's like this tiny little block is just like building up and building up, and it's kind of cool to like be a part of it. It's a lot of new business, a lot of young business, and. Yeah, it's ex so exciting. So what's the space like for you? How many seats are we talking about? And given all your past experiences, what are we what are we looking at as, as the kind of cuisine you'll be doing? Um, so it's it's a fairly small space. So including the bar seating, it's only 50 seats. Um, mm -hmm. I know what I'm good at, and it's running a small restaurant. Um, a little bit bigger than the minibar, but uh, definitely not that. But the idea is to do an a la carte menu uh, and then offer like a small five to six course tasting menu. Still kind of figuring that one out. So making it like much more approachable. Like price point and also having the experience more approachable. You don't mm -hmm. have to dedicate, you know, four and a half hours to the meal. I mean, okay. So we got about a minute and a half. What sort of things will we find on the menu? Oh, I mean, man. yeah, we're not looking at let's, like let's, molecular yeah. gastronomy, right? No, like, I mean, I, I always use a lot of like kind of more avant-garde modern technique, but that's mm -hmm. never like the focus of the dish. If it helps elevate it, go for it. But it's okay. always it's very like ingredient driven. So mm -hmm. you'll see like being at Mugaritz was like a great example of like my style of food. It's like very natural and organic. And there's really fun kind of modern technique, but it's never there to be like a show. It's there to kind of make it make the dish better and more interesting. So there'll obviously be bigger portions than what you would expect to be at mini bar, but still mm -hmm. that kind of like that thought process of kind of presenting things in a more kind of fun and avant-garde kind a of little style. Little Yeah, like okay. me. Terrific. Now you're going to be doing some pop-ups. Yes. So uh, I'll be doing some dinners out of the actual Gray Street space. Uh, our first one is on the 19th, and then I'll probably do. Two to three every month. So I'll I post it on my Instagram. It's mm -hmm. easy. It's just at Johnny Spiro. Mm -hmm. uh, kept it simple. 
Um, and we'll just, we'll, I'll post it like two weeks beforehand and we'll do like a small five to six course tasting menu. We'll have booze and it'll be kind of very casual and approachable. Booze so. is good. When are you opening up? You uh, know? shooting for end of summer, but I won't give any real date until it's, right. you never know. Things change. Cool. Right. But, it happens yeah. when it happens. All right. All so right. where can people keep, uh, touch, keep in touch with what you're doing in your progress? Uh, I mean, I'm really active on social media, so. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I post pictures right, every so day. Follow Johnny right. Sparrow. Yeah, yeah, at Johnny Sparrow. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for joining us You're this very morning. Welcome. All right. This is me. David and Nikki Nellis for Feeding the Beast. We'll be back in just a second. Are you or someone you know a victim of crime? If so, call the DC Victim Hotline at 1 844 4HELP DC. The DC Victim Hotline assists victims of any crimes in the District of Columbia by connecting them to resources that empower them to take the next steps toward healing. It's a free, anonymous service staffed with fully trained victim assistance specialists. You can chat online at dcvictim.org or text and call 1-844-4-HELP-DC. That's 1-844-4-HELP-DC. If you've ever worked for a large company that provides services to a customer, at some point you may have said, Huh, I think I might be able to do this better on my own. Well, this is a show for people who actually take the step off the ledge and fend for themselves in the cutthroat world that is government contracting. I'm Alan Scott of Columbia Technology Partners and host Ready to Prime. Part information, part inspiration, and all small business. Heard the last Tuesday of every month on Federal News Radio 1500 AM or on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Ready to Prime. Teachers, plan your next field trip to the museum where education meets inspiration. Thanks to a program sponsored by WTOP, D.C. area students can explore the museum free of charge when they visit as part of a teacher-led group. Students will unlock deeper understanding of our First Amendment freedoms as they explore more than 30 exhibits and theaters or take part in one of 15 standard-aligned workshops, all free with your field trip. Visit museum.org slash field trip to see the full list of qualifying districts and book your visit today. I'm Aileen Black. And I'm Gigi Shum. Together, we host Women of Washington. You'll hear the inspiring and amazing stories of women who have paved their own path to success and achieved incredible milestones in their careers. Some have leaned in. Others took an unconventional approach. All have made an impact on the business landscape of Washington, D.C. and beyond. Tune in Wednesday afternoons at 1 for Women of Washington, Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Women of Washington. Hey, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And uh, let's go back to Sebastian. And, Hi, uh, Sebastian. Um, this um, white goes beautifully with some of the stuff that Kyle brought in. It's like a, it complements it beautifully. It's really nice. Well, thank you. You know, like I said earlier, Chardonnay with good French oak barrels. Well, this doesn't fantastic. taste, you, I mean, it's not like uh, uber buttery. No, no. Again, depending on the cooper that you are using, if you use a cooper with very well balanced, with a good toast on your barrels, and you control the percentage of new oak barrels, you know, for a wine like that, you only have 35% of new oak barrels, mm-hmm. and you age, you keep that on lease a little bit, so to give a little bit more body and expression to the wine, and uh, and after 11, almost one year in French oak barrels, okay, you rack, you remove the wine from the barrels, and it's ready to be bottled. Yeah, because so. honestly, like when I hear oaky... I mean, I think big, but, yellow, buttery, butter, right. and it's just, it's an unappealing, like when I drink a wine like that, I think, oh, I'm going to be sick tomorrow. Like that's like, mm. you know, it just does not sit well with me, but this is really light it and it does light. not, it's not, it doesn't have that. Like when you say oak, it doesn't, my what, mind was going someplace else. What is the, the name? That is Green Hill 
Chardonnay Reserve. That's beautiful. Chardonnay Reserve. Okay, what are we pouring next? So next I brought the Philosophy 2014. Again, this wine is not released, so right. we are lucky to try that before the preview. Okay. preview. Again, and uh, it's a Bordeaux, Bordeaux style with, you know, the majority of grapes is Cabernet Sauvignon. And we have uh, five grapes from Bordeaux region here. So we have a Cabernet Sauvignon, the Cabernet Franc, the Merlot, mm -hmm. the Malbec, and Petit Verdot. So we have, uh, you know, it's pretty rare well, in Virginia than to be able to grow all the different five grapes from the Bordeaux region, but we're able to do it at Green Hill. So long aging periods, 18 months in French oak barrels as well, with only 30% of 35% of new oak barrels. So we want the wood to be here, but we don't want the wood to be too strong. Do you sit around and go, like, if I add, if I put these three things together in these, you know, volumes. We've done it. That would probably take, well, mine turned out to be crap. I right? know, but mine was really good. <laughs> but, yeah, we did it. We've made our own wines. Where were we? At Marcel's? At Marcel's. Yeah, was uh, it? With, um, oh, God, what's that guy's I name? I don't know. It was the a bust. From, uh, but my question is, is that, wine. do you, because you really don't know how it's going to come out until... It's aged, and you know, so well, you're really rolling the dice, aren't well, you? Well, from the beginning of the process, you know the quality of the grapes in the vineyard. So that gives you already, at the beginning of the process, when you pick the grapes, you know the potential uh, uh, flavor-wise of uh, grapes that you are working with. And uh, so during the process, you keep separating the different grapes varietal, and you age them at different, you know, style with different techniques of winemaking. And early in, in the process, you start playing the volume. So you take uh, some samples in the lab in the morning, and you start blending 5% of that. You just get the vision of, that. of like that scene in Young Frankenstein when he's in the Yes, it, it is pretty much lab. like that. So we have tube and, and cylinders. And do you do that evil laugh, too? That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is later. Oh, later. later. <laughs> As you're French, you probably go, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Right. oh my God. Please don't be offended by that. No, no, I'm he not. He knew what he was talking about. I heard that many times. That's right. Okay. So we, right. we do blend the wine and uh, early in the morning because our fresh mouth and, and we are ready to, you know, feel all the expression of the grapes and the barrels and the oak. And at this point, we we uh, blend a different percentage until we arrive to the flavor that we are looking for. And at that stage, we do the physical blend in the winery. So we rack the wine out of barrels in the big stainless steel tanks. And refill the barrels for aging, you know, at this point of the wine is made, is blended, and we age another one year. All right. All right. Well, pour your next wine, please. And then we're going we're gonna to talk Uli. Hi, Pierre. With Pierre Malco. So, Pierre, we'll talk about what Uli is in a second, but what does Uli mean? Uli means uh, tell me. So in. basically, it's it's uh it's you know since you're asking Uli to to make a recommendation since I'm a little concierge, so that's what the. And Uli means tell me in what language? In Lebanese. Oh, there it is. Okay. Well, that's what I, I was just trying to get to the answer, man. You know, that's like, all right. So, so you came in studio six months ago, and it was, you know, the app was more, it was primarily restaurant focused. It was, and, and it has this really interesting technology. So I want to reintroduce it to our listeners quickly, and then we can talk about all the new features that you've added, because I just, it's amazing the kinds of things that you have added to it. Like, it mm -hmm. didn't occur to me that that's where you were going. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like with theater or farmers markets well, or things and that volunteering nature's. and all that. So. so let's start about the its initial birth and like where it is now. Okay, so so Uli is a mobile concierge, and if you think of a concierge, you usually ask the concierge to make a recommendation on something you want to do. So uh, in that case, uh, Uli, you ask Uli, you tell it if you want to go out to eat or you want to you know uh, enjoy some community events and so on and so forth. And the Uli provides uh, behind the scenes the technology to sift through the many options that we have and come back with three recommendations. 
And those recommendations are personalized based on who you are. They are uh, uh, very relevant to what you're trying to do, and they are also available, mm -hmm. which is a very important point that, that I think we, we can talk about some more. But the concept of three is very important because if you give people too much choice, like if you go search and you find 20 pages of results, you're going to have to sift through it yourself. But with three options, you're giving people enough choice, but not too much choice. So that was a kind of a, a magical element of Uli. And uh, initially, we were focused on connecting people with great local gems that are available in their neighborhoods that they can you know, go enjoy either dining there or, or other activities like happy hours, etc. But we realized that there's a lot of other things that people want to do in their community. And so it became this concept of connecting people with great things that are going on in their community mm -hmm. and using the same concept by telling Uli that you want to do something, it comes back with these three options that are personalized, that are very relevant to what you want to do, and that are available. So how does that work? So like farmer's markets, how do you use it in that capacity? So in, in essence, you know, we have different, uh, what we call uh, different intents. I want to do something in Uli. So I, I may say I want to, you know, go out to dinner, or I want to buy fresh, or mm -hmm. I want to shop local. And each one of these uh, intents can then translate into a number of things that we do behind the scenes to arrive at the right answer. So when you want to buy fresh, you know, the farmer markets become part of that, and you, you get uh, a listing of, of three farmer's markets that are, you know, that, are uh, um, that you can go visit and, mm -hmm. and buy. So Uli's like my personal search engine, basically. It's, it's your personal search engine, but it's also uh, it's got a lot of uh, recommendation capabilities that learn from what you do. So that as you use it, the more you use it, the smarter. more personalized it gets. Okay. And so if I realize that I'm putting options in front of you that you're not acting on, or if I realize that you're, you're liking mm -hmm. certain things versus others, that can factor into the algorithms that then can filter what we show you so that, you know, we, get a, uh, we don't annoy you with a lot of things that are not relevant. So you're basically talking about the matrix. That's what's happening. <laughs> Pretty much. It's a little matrix It's a little scary. <laughs> What am I thinking, Pierre? But, the, um, the, only, so the only thing that we need to make it have a sexy voice like yours, and then yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Well, I am for sale. <laughs> um, so then when you added the theater portion, how did that get used? Because, I mean, there is so much theater in the area. So how do you – what does somebody plug in for that? How does that work? So, so the idea there is that, you know, we don't – we do a lot of things on a day-by-day -day basis, not just about dining out or uh -huh. certain things. So, so with Uli, we said if I, if I want to apply the same concept that we apply to dining into other things that we do in life, uh, you know, that maybe I want to get the kids out of the house on a Saturday and, right. you know, then give me some options. Or maybe I want to, you know, enjoy some, some local theater. Uh -huh. uh, so in general, when people think about theater, they're thinking about the big – uh, venues that you have and, and the, the great... But not the small theaters. But there is tons of local uh, performing artists that are doing great uh, theater uh -huh. in places that you can't, you know, you don't usually think about. And it's a good way to enjoy something local that doesn't cost a lot of money, but at the same time, you will have a great time. Mm -hmm. And so that's how the idea came about. And, you know, Elaine has been, you know, she, she's with me here in the, Hi, in the studio. And Elaine has been doing a great job, uh, you know, talking to uh, many organizations and local community about how we can get them involved. So but that's so how now, this do came they about. have those beacons too? Because some of the restaurants have these beacons, right? Yes. Does it work? Does it still works in that same capacity? Yes, the beacons serve multiple purposes for us. So we have the beacons are used to both push information to the to the users when mm -hmm. they're at a particular location. Uh, but they also streamline the interaction with the partners so that you don't have to have a special device at the location when somebody goes in with an Uli exclusive it's offer. Just an app. It's like it just basically it makes the technology work seamlessly because mm 
at the end of the day, we didn't want the, the partner stuff to do more work or the user stuff to do more work. So right. the beacons help us with that streamlining. Mm -hmm. And lastly, just before we have to wrap up, can we talk about the volunteerism? Because I think the fact that you're helping people, making it easier for people to go and volunteer, I, I just think is brilliant. So how, how does that work? So we as a company have been heavily involved with some of the local nonprofits for years now, mm -hmm. organizations like uh, BHI in Arlington and uh, AFAC, uh, and we've been doing that for many years. And uh, so, again, as, as uh, Elaine has been doing work and, and reaching out to the community, that became something that a lot of, uh, a lot of people in our community care about. Mm -hmm. So we created this new intent, just like everything else that says, you know, I would like to volunteer, and, and based on that and, and your, your kind of uh, personalization, you have some options that come to you uh, through Uli that uh, open up some uh, some ideas for you on, on how you so can help the local community. Would it benefit you to hook up with like Greater DC Cares, which is that all volunteer? In other words, basically have their database as part of your database. She's nodding. Yes, okay. we'll make that happen. <laughs> no, I'm just because yeah. that's a great thing so, that you're. Yeah. So, for example, one of the things that we're doing right now is we have a campaign that's going on with AFAC in Arlington, where for every download between November 15th and the end of the year, we're donating two dollars to AFAC. So, you know, the, the the more people download the app and start using it, the more money AFAC gets from us. Cool. So, so. Terrific. All right. Well, tell everybody how to get Uli. So you get Uli on the uh, App Store for Apple, um, uh, or you can get it from uh, Google Play. Mm -hmm. And if you need more information about it, you get it from uh, uliapp.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us Wait, again. Wait, let's make sure people know how to spell Uli. O-U-L-I. Correct. It's not intuitive. O-U-L-I. <laughs> but you'll find it. All Great. right. Thank you, Pierre. Thank you so much. All right. So we're going to go from Uli to Boyce, Virginia. Um I think what's interesting is there are a lot of great dining treasures that are that are beyond the beltway and in that outer ring that are still accessible to people in Washington that aren't necessarily known across the board. And one of them for sure is La Berge Provençal in Boyce, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And newly engaged chef Steve Farrell, I'm going to rub that in. <laughs> He's like He's all over that. And it's a great little restaurant. It's, I just want you to know, I'm wife number three, so it's not like he wow. hasn't done this. Like uh, I just want to say times. they die of exhaustion. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> Poor kids. Um, but you're a, you're a whole farm to table kind of contemporary French cuisine restaurant. Am I right? Do I have that? Am I saying it right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So why don't you first of all give us just kind of the overview of the. Uh, the restaurant, we got a minute before we go to commercial. Then but we'll then we'll come back to you. Okay. Uh, we offer a, a tasting menu plus a prefix menu, mm -hmm. and we also have a, a newly opened bar, so you can also do bistro-style uh, cuisine there. So really we have so much local produce and local farms around that it's literally right down the road. That's what I like to work with. Uh, just treat it simply and hope for the best. Well, where did you crush? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where did you come from? Like, how did you get involved with the restaurant? Give us a little background. Uh, I Originally, I grew up in Maryland. I'm from uh -huh. Frederick. Um, actually, one of my purveyors, after my last job, uh, led me on and said they were looking for a chef. So okay. that's how I got in touch with them. Okay. Well, Frederick is, listen, between you and the Voltaggio <laughs> brothers. I know, exactly. Yeah. Pumping out a bunch. Do you want to go to commercial? Yeah, I'm going to take okay. a quick commercial break. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we can talk about all this glorious food you brought in. But then we really want to talk about, like, 
why people should drive out there and check out what you guys are doing. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. According to the American College of Cardiology, people with heart conditions should take extra care with outdoor winter chores. While it's important to exercise all year, shoveling snow and extreme cold can both put extra stress on the heart. Talk to your doctor about which exercise is right for you. If your doctor approves, go slowly. Move small shovels of snow at a time in short sessions, particularly if the snow is wet and heavy. Don't ignore signs of distress. For more on living well and heart disease and staying active in cold weather, visit Cardiosmart.org. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at WFED. Check your thrift savings plan numbers every day at federalnewsradio.com. Find out how your funds closed and how they're doing for the year. It's all right there on our homepage, federalnewsradio.com. This is John Gilroy. My show, Federal Tech Talk, answers the question, how does technology make life easier for the federal audience? I've spent years interviewing federal CIOs, tech leaders, and big company CTOs. What they tell me is compelling, provocative, and always relevant to the federal government and contractor. Check it out Tuesday and Thursday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Federal Tech Talk. Let Potomac's Market at River Falls help make holiday entertaining unforgettable. For a catering menu, visit MarketRiverFalls.com or call 301-765-8001. Did you know babies receive vaccinations that protect them from 14 diseases before they're even two years old? Adults, ask your health care provider about your vaccination needs and record. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says older adults need vaccinations to prevent flu, pneumonia, Tdap, hepatitis B, and shingles. Tdap, a combination of vaccine of tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis, should be given to pregnant women during the third trimester to protect babies from whooping cough. Learn more at cdc.gov vaccines. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at profish.com. Hey, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, before we get back to the show, I just want to thank our sponsors, Celebrity mm. Cruises, mm-hmm. uh, the Market at River Falls out in Potomac, ProFish. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for sponsoring the show. If you're not a sponsor, don't be shy. Step right up. Right. Okay. We'll do it. All right, so let's go back and talk some more. Before we get into the, the details on the restaurant, you're really part of a sort of a, a, a bigger thing there because there's a and b so you're a great you know, weekend getaway place too, correct? Yes, and I would say probably about 80% of the clientele does drive out from Washington for this. Mm -hmm. How Um, far is it? 90 uh, minutes maybe? 90 minutes. It's actually less than trying to get into D.C. Right. No, that's 100 days. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) at least, at least. Um, But they they come out mainly to do like all kinds of things, not just stay at the inn, but, you know, we can, if you're really active, you can go hiking. There's great biking. There's vineyards to go and see, of course. There's, you can go zip lining canoeing, kayaking, everything is right is, there. How big is the inn? The inn, we have 11 rooms at our main site, and then mm-hmm. we have another bed and breakfast called Villa La Campagnette, which is about three miles from the main site, and we just have three 
tweets there. Okay. And that, yeah. And what, tell us a little bit about sort of the feel of the place, how it feels. Well, most of the, um, it's very Provencal, it's mm-hmm. hence L'Auberge Provencal. Right. The reason to be out there was so that we could raise a lot of our own things. So mm-hmm. we have a pretty large orchard. We have about 78 fruit trees, and we use a lot of that in our cuisine to make all kinds of jams and jellies and chutneys and everything. Mm-hmm. We have a full garden on the property as well. Mm-hmm. So we raise a lot of our produce. Um, the reason we actually and came... did that come from chef or was that come from you? Like, where? Well, how my... did this happen? Well, yeah, my husband was the me. first chef. Okay, um, so he was a chef uh, when we first opened up in 1981, mm-hmm. and he's a fourth generation in his family that were chefs, and came from Avignon in the south. So he was used to being around that. I mean, his grandfather had. I've been on the pont in Avignon. And been on the pont. <laughs> I've been there Such too. Such as it is. Yeah, <laughs> half of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Wait. Well, she was in the middle of talking. Okay, right. So, and then you found Steve. Did you? Well, my husband um, was the chef for a long time, mm-hmm. and then he, as he got older, he'd been working since he was fourteen in, in the kitchen, and decided he wanted to kind of bow out a bit. So we had, uh, you know, we really searched around to try to find what we were looking for, and we're really happy we found Steve. Well, Steve's doing great. When when you came, did you kind of put your own imprint on the menu? Were you? Yeah, were, absolutely. They uh, they fully support. Uh, the creative aspect of it, really, they just demand perfection, and really, they've already. So you had... go to bed at night grumbling about the boss. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my people do. Uh, it's actually it's <laughs> great that they had, I mean, twelve pages full of local farms and phone numbers and contacts for me to call. Like as soon as so I walked. What, in the door. what are you doing? What did you do differently to sort of update, you know, your presentation? Uh, I think I'm probably a little more of a traditionalist as far as technique goes. Oh. Uh, I think I'm not as molecular. I think I'm playing now with it. Uh, my style is more uh, don't take shortcuts with technique and to season properly. It's very, oh, very overlooked. But season. you're also working with pristine product. Absolutely. So, so you letting need to, that shine. Yeah, respect that product. Mm-hmm. And most most of the things I do, if you'll see with the, the beet and the Arctic char here, is... Mm-hmm. That Arctic char looks like a beet. I mean, the color it's is beautiful. so it, it was, magnificent. It was cured with beet, so that's oh, why. Okay, cool. It has that color. <laughs> well, there we go. I didn't even know that. Okay. But I like, I like to add variety to the dish by using the same ingredient with multiple preparations. Mm-hmm. Like, each beet on the plate was cooked in a different manner. One was confit, one was sous vide, one was roasted. So you get different oh. textures, different levels of sweetness mm-hmm. uh, from those products. And I pretty much approach that with everything that I do. Okay, terrific. The, but so... Mm-hmm. I mean, even though you're from Frederick, but given that you have all these things on the on your property, the fruit trees, the access to the fresh vegetables, it's I mean, so is nice. that is that yeah. just like wow? Like, where do I begin? What do I do? Uh, it's really just take a stroll out to the garden, see what looks nice. And mm-hmm. our uh, our main produce farmer, Shenandoah Seasonal, is actually just three driveways down mm-hmm. the road where we get most of our produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allie and Dan, they're great and. Yeah, we call them the hippies, but they're the hardest working hippies you've ever seen. No, not hippies. Yeah, right, they hippies are work hard. Fantastic. Fantastic. They're still alive. They're casual. They just work hard. Um, and what about for the holidays? What do you guys have going on? Well, we um, we're doing actually a wine dinner this uh, Sunday, which uh-huh. is called Christmas in Provence. So we do a lot of Provencal style things uh, around the. The twelfth, we do the thirteen desserts of Provence. We put out in the city, the salon for the in guests when they come in, so they can try the. You know, we have fougas out there. We have the calisson de X. We have the, um, uh, Orliette, um nuts. That's all the nuts and fruits and all the different yeah. things that you do mm-hmm. with that. And so that's there. Um, during Christmas, we serve Christmas Eve. Uh, we do not serve on Christmas Day. That's been like a, a rule since we started. 
And then I think that's totally fair. Really fair. Really fair. And New Year's is <laughs> is you know dress up, put on your tux, and come out and have a you know nine course uh, menu with the best products you can possibly have. Oh, really? That's so it's the black point. tie. Most people wear black tie. We don't have too many slouchers on that day. Okay, <laughs> very cool. Yeah. And um, are you are there? Is there still availability? Can people still come to it? Uh, we still have availability. I think we're done on the rooms, though. I think okay. the rooms are gone. But mm-hmm. I think we Nothing like success. All right. Well, let's make sure everybody knows where you are on the web. And in... Well, wait. Can Chef just tell us first what he brought oh, in? Because he brought true. in all this beautiful food. He should at least be able to tell us about it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, giant cheese and charcuterie platter. Uh, <laughs> Huge. Huge. Uh, pork pate is from uh, Baker Farm in Mount Jackson. I have uh, pork riette. It's from Wiffle Tree Farm. I have duck foie gras uh, torchon. We have uh, how many turkeys? Did you think you were serving? <laughs> you did a turkey pate, turkey something. Tur- turkey liver mousse. I'm yeah. really interested in that. that I've that's never had that's that also, also from Wiffle Tree from okay. the uh, the turkeys we had at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, three local cheeses. We have uh, from Cherry Glen. Mm-hmm. Go farm. We have Noxy Ash, and Noxy Silver. Very popular lately. And so uh, you're from... also big into using the whole animal. Absolutely. Okay, which is yeah. great to hear. Okay. Yeah, so, so we will have to talk to you. He does He does butcher down the whole animal. Okay, mm-hmm. so we got it. Mm-hmm. That's great. A little networking no, in studio. Because Andrew was standing behind you like this. You're right. Ready to pounce. That's beautiful. All right, well, Thank please you. tell everybody where we can find you one more time. Well, on the web, it's at uh, loubergeprovencal.com. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds bad. Just don't put a, an apostrophe in there and <laughs> make it all one word. Don't forget the E, and you'll generally find us. Excellent. Yep. Okay, thank you both. You for can also in. look for, you know, restaurants in Boyce, Virginia, which is easier, too, yeah. right? <laughs> white, or White Post. White Post. <laughs> all right. Sebastian, we got about a minute and a half to come back to you. Is there another wine? Or there we... is. Right? Yes, we have another more? wine. What do we got? So this is Mythology 2014, and this wine is a, a base Merlot. Uh, we don't talk enough about Merlot in Virginia, but Merlot is a fantastic grape. First, it arrives very quickly in the season, and uh, we talk about Cap Franc all the time. You know, mm-hmm. Cap, Virginia Cap Franc is so fantastic, and I agree with that. It's fantastic. Why? Why, is, why do you think that Because Merlot Ca- Cabernet, uh, have, a, you know, usually ripe 15 days before the Cabernet Franc. So in September or October, when the weather can be tricky in Virginia, it is always good to know that you can harvest your grapes before the rains start coming. And Merlot always ripe. You know, it's the first red who ripe in Virginia. So so you are pretty happy when the grapes are ripe inside and then not getting through the storm. Um, so we uh, should consider a little bit more Merlot. And Merlot, you know, people have this negative impact, you know, since the, the movie Sideways. Uh, but in the movie Sideways, he, ne- he never said that Merlot is not good. He says ex-wife like Merlot, so you don't want to hear about it. Right. Uh, and it's interesting to that see that. it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting is after the movie, uh, the Merlot market dropped by, you know, 60%. Right, and everybody and, started drinking Pinot Noir. Uh, yeah, correct. And they plant Pinot Noir everywhere. And only two years ago, the Merlot came back to the same level. Mm-hmm. So we have this negative, you know, connotation about Merlot all the time. But when you uh, buy a Saint-Emilion Grand Cru, it is Merlot. Right. Uh, but we don't put Merlot on the label. It's just Saint-Emilion, the name of the village. So Merlot can be as good than a Cabernet Sauvignon, as big than a Cabernet Sauvignon. And mythology at Green Hill Winery is what I did. I put almost 60% of Merlot in this wine with some Petit Verdot and a little bit of Cabernet Franc. Mm. And you get this very uh, velvety you know, taste on this wine, and it's very expressive. So. All right. Tell everybody where they can find Green Hill Wine. No, Green Hill Wine... You can find them at Green Hill Winery, yeah. pretty much. We do uh, almost 100% of our sales through the testing room. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, we try to elevate the experience to people. So people come at the testing room and can enjoy the wine sitting with a beautiful experience. Uh, we also have a clubhouse down below the hill. So it's a 1763 old stone manor. Then we open to public for club we members. We need to get a clubhouse. I know. I need a clubhouse. So you should yeah. come visit us at Green Hill and, and you will experience, I think, uh, amazing wines and, and good staff. All Thank right. you, Sebastian. Okay, well, while you're pouring that, we have to wrap up the show. Yeah, everything you heard about on the show today, you can find on Nikki's website, thelistareyouwanna.com. Mm-hmm. We Follow just relaunched the site. Which yeah, it's a good-looking new site. Follow her on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She's on WTOP every week on Thursdays at 1240. Am I doing that Yes, right? and also throughout the week. Throughout so, the week, you'll yes. hear. But you can just listen in and you can hear me. What else can I promote? Is right. that it? I think that's it. So okay. we had such a fabulous show today. We want to thank yeah, all thank of our fantastic guests for bringing all this delicious food, great wine, of course. Um, next week's show is no slouch either. We have Monica Bidet coming back in. She has a new book out. And Ice Ice Baby, the Gaylord, has their new ice experience. And they're bringing in both chocolate and wine. We're going to do a chocolate and wine tasting in Should studio. Should I go dun, 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 dun. You can. Thank you. Uh, we need Sam Nellis for that one. All right. Again, thank you to all of our fabulous guests today and thank you for tuning in everybody please have a delicious week